Take ORFM Dunedin with you wherever you go with podcasts and streaming of primo local content. Download the accessmedia.nz app for free from Google Play and the Apple App Store. This programme was first broadcast on ORFM Dunedin and made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Welcome to Real-Time Resilience, Coping During COVID-19. We join Dr Denise Quinlan and Dr Lucy Hone, co-directors of the New Zealand Institute of Wellbeing and Resilience, plus invited experts as they share tips to look after your mental health and well-being during this time. Hey guys, today I am joined by the beautiful Denise Quinlan, who works at the New Zealand Institute of Wellbeing and Resilience, and who was my teacher um, for positive psychology, where I did my diploma in the Langley Institute. Amazing to have you here, Denise. Um, Thank you so much for joining us today. It's a complete delight, Rach, to to be back chatting with you. Yeah, yeah, it's been a while. This podcast is going to go out on real-time resilience shows. And so I want to remind people that Rachel McCann is a New Zealand black stick um, of some distinction and a well-being educator and that Rachel is reaching people all over the country and beyond with the Happy Athlete. Oh, I'm thrilled to be here. Yeah, amazing. So we'll just we'll crack into some questions because really the intention of this podcast is just to share knowledge and positive psychology and interventions that people can use at the moment and hopefully um, inspire people to use some of those interventions at the moment. Um, so, Denise, what is your general advice for resilience at this challenging time that the world is going through? Honestly, um, I think the um, there's a couple of really simple ones that, that we've been recommending to people of all ages, and one of them is lower the bar. Lower your expectations of yourselves and other people and be kind because we're not going to get done what we would normally get done. A couple of others that are really important are choose where you focus your attention. If you're putting your attention on the stuff that's out of your control or the stuff that doesn't matter, it's a head spinner right now. And so we're saying focus on, there's that lovely little Venn diagram of the things that matter and where they intersect with the things you can control. So focusing on the stuff that matters to you that you can control and as far as possible, letting the other stuff go. Mm. And I think one of the things that flows out from that at the moment is when you when you watch what you're looking at, especially your media diet and ask is it helping or harming? Because um, if we spend hours on social media or on the national media looking at the horror show that is coronavirus around the world, doesn't put you in the best space. Mm, mm, yeah, very true. Um, and if we just go quite specifically into athletes, what aspects of resilience and well-being do you think athletes do already do really well? Oh, look, I've been thinking of you guys since this happened and thinking, oh, my God, all the poor caged athletes. <laughs> you know, um, the things athletes, I think, in general – Your training means you're building resilience. You're learning how to cope with setback and keep going. And that's a key part of resilience. Um, And I think the other things that that are really helpful are that sense of routine and structure. Everyone has a program they're following. Um, And whether you're an individual athlete or a team athlete, you're usually closely connected with other people. And so I think the bit that's 
really useful for athletes right now is, is hanging on to whatever shred of your program or a revised program you can do. Um, the bit that maybe is tricky is the fact that the goals aren't there anymore, the team isn't there in the same way, and, and you're, not, you're used to raising the bar and not lowering it. Mm. I would definitely say... Yeah, for me, that's that's been one of the struggle. Like, um, just the the goalpost has been shifted, and now just getting in that the right headspace. But I think it is like that mindset. And I was talking to Quinny um, last week on the podcast, yeah. and he was saying like, you don't need to have motivation; you just need to have discipline. And I was kind of like, oh, yeah. that's a good one. Athletes as well, yeah. like just flipping the language and trying to use different language around it. And I'm putting routine and, and, and that this is, this isn't working from home. This isn't training from home. This is training from home during a national emergency. Mm. It's a bit different and everyone else has a bit on their minds. And like, I know um, I've been thinking about the swimmers. It's one thing to be at home when you're a land-based athlete and you can keep training, but oh my God, like all our poor swimmers who've been on this mission for Tokyo and they suddenly find themselves with their flexible, soft ankles running around. They're all getting sore ankles. By the way. I know. Uh, you know, and um and one of the things I was really encouraged by hearing from one of the swimmers, hi, Caitlin Deans, uh, that their coach is being really kind, that their coach is saying, do what you can now. Don't, don't stress it. Um, when we get back in the pool, we'll be going hard. And take it easy now. Mm, mm, yeah, it's good. I mean, it's the same with a couple of kayakers, like you've seen them on Instagram, and they're used to everything being upper body, and now they're just, like, out running, and they're like, oh, yeah, like, strain my back or whatever and you just I think that's pretty good advice just trying and I need to take it as well being kind to yourself throughout the process because yeah you don't have normal access to like physios or medical or any of that stuff that you normally would so looking after your mind and body is more important never and I think one of the ways that that's um obviously completely different to a training session with your team but getting back together um, my daughter's netball team had a training session, a skill session, which was in the kitchen in my house until I, I suggested that someone take it outside. <laughs> but, you know, it's all the girls together and they're having a laugh and a chat. And I'm like, yeah, well done. Well mm-hmm. done to that team. Um, so, thank you, yeah, staying connected, it's a good one, eh? And, and why, I guess, is resilience so important at the moment? You know, what a, why, sh- why do we need to practice being resilient? So I think if we, if we come back to the idea that there are four core functions of resilience and then we think about what's happening now, I think that becomes clear. Um, classically, we think about resilience as having four functions. The first one is helping us overcome childhood adversity, so poverty, abuse, and neglect. Um, as adults, you've made it through there, well done. You know, you either didn't have to use resilience then or you've, you have, in which case, big tech. But the other functions then are to steer us through everyday adversities. That's the, the road rage, the frustration, the, you know, the photocopier breaking, all that kind of everyday stuff. Um, and then there's adapting to major change or loss. And, you know, in the normal run of things, we think that would be sort of like, you know, death, divorce, redundancy. But think about it from an athlete's perspective. That's the not making the cut. All of those are the major events too. Um, 
But then the fourth one is the reaching out. And that's where resilience is what allows us to have a secure enough base to be able to take on new challenges. I think of it as having a safe enough nest to be able to fly from it and do other stuff. And so right now during this kind of the situation we're in with coronavirus, we are, there's a combination for all of us of the huge stuff. Some people are losing fun, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, there are other people whose life goals are being put aside and going, that's not going to happen now. Um, and then there's the, the daily frustrations of staying sane in your bubble. Um, I did, I have written about my advice on staying sane and kind in your bubble was entitled Not Killing Nigel, which is, who's my husband. <laughs> so, you know, so there's, there's resilience to cope with the everyday adversity. And then hopefully, also in this period, there are people who are seeing the kind of COVID silver linings and the opportunities to, to grow beyond and to, to do stuff that they maybe haven't thought about before. Mm. What are the yeah? What are the step by step things we can do? You know, like if you are, you know, you've just been made redundant, or you know, you've just had a big fight with a family member. What are the steps that we can take, like the tangible ones, to allow us to be resilient? So, if we think about some of the things that are that we know are important, so. Um, to, to, to give you like, the, you know, the extreme example of, well, if somebody could do it there, I can do it where I am. Um, they did a study on the airmen who were released from what was called the Hanoi, Hanoi Hilton after the Vietnam War. And it was incredibly tough. They were also tortured some of the time. And some of these people coped amazingly well. And so they, rather than going, oh my God, this is awful, what broke people? They actually looked at who coped really well and what were the characteristics that they had and how can we learn from them? And they included optimistic thinking, being able to have that balanced, grounded optimism for the future, um, being able to help others, having a, sense, having a moral compass, having a sense of what you know is right or wrong, having a sense of faith, humor, Humor played a huge role. Um, having role models around you. Um, I see you grinning and it's like, yeah, you know, and you, you well, think no, of the I ones just, you do. I know that humor is probably one of your strengths, Denise. <laughs> well, it, it is in our worst moments. It's what I fall back on. You know, if we can crack a joke, at, at, you know, and it's kind of like gallows humor sometimes, yeah. isn't it? Like we've been joking about my mom. My mom is 86 and I'm like, Jesus, mom, no, you can't go out. We don't want you to fall off your perch. You know, I want you there when I come back. So rather than all being miserable and crying in our cups, we're trying to laugh about it. Um, the, but it, then as well as role models, there's also just strong supportive relationships. Like, I don't know if you've ever read about what happened in these prisons, but they had a tap code. They created an alphabet of taps. And they would, can can you imagine how long it took to work it out and communicate it? But, you know, if you're four or five years in jail, you've got time. Um, And they would tap messages to each other. And that was what kept them going. They had incredibly supportive relationships with people they'd never seen. Mm. You know, so that's huge. Um, Being willing to face fear. And I think as athletes, that's something that you 
practice doing on a daily basis. You know, it's kind of pushing out of your comfort zone, learning new stuff, facing your fears. Um, and the other one that's really important, I know you, you've asked me about before, the whole sense of it, having a sense of meaning and purpose. Um, all of those are really important. So um, whether it's the redundancy or the smaller irritations, I think they're the kind of things we encourage people to fall back on. It's um, keeping a sense of perspective is huge, isn't it? Mm, it definitely is. Um, and I guess it's just like it is a it is a crisis. It is a if that's what you want to use the language around it. Um, or like you said, is it an opportunity for us to learn about something new, or you know, look at the opportunities in it? But um, I guess I learned in my diploma the power of positive emotions, and I just wanted to talk a little bit about that. Um, mm. So. Broaden and build theory, if you could just explain that to the listeners. Um, I was in a school in Auckland literally just before lockdown and we were working on, I was was presenting to them on positive emotions and my word, it never felt more relevant. You know, we really, when the chips are down, positive emotions are more important than ever. So the, the reason why is, if we think about how positive emotions function, what we know is, in the immediate short term, when you experience an emotion, it broadens your attention. It enables you to take in more information. And it also enables you to do um, your executive functioning performs better. You're, you're better at creative problem solving, decision making, all of those good things. Um, the opposite is when we're really um, freaked out and in fight or flight, we go into kind of tunnel vision and poor decision making. So to be able to stay in positive emotion, even in a really challenging game, even in a tough situation. It's what allows us to, whether, and and when we say positive emotions, it can be curiosity, a sense of awe, a sense of playfulness and fun. Um, Any of, you know, a sense of inspiration, the joy of feeling part of a team, whatever it is that generates your positive emotion, um, that really is going to help us function in the moment. And then the real kicker for me is that it's not just pleasant to have those things on a moment-to-moment basis, but when we repeatedly experience those things, they build enduring resources for us. And and I always think about this as like, and it's not magic. Um, Why does the person who repeatedly is in a good humor and smiles and says hello to me in the morning, why are they more likely to have a broader network of contacts and better access to organizational information over several years? Hmm. You know, it it's sense. not a miracle. Um, <laughs> the, the bit about it that I think is really interesting for right now is that there's been a lot of um, research done by people like Barbara Fredrickson and others on the, the way that positive emotion functions as a reset. So after we've had um, strong negative emotions, they're what they call um, sequelae. There's all these kind of little, ah, you know, follow-on effects from negative emotions that have to be flushed out from our bodies. And they, they stop us from performing at our best. And if we have, if we can experience positive emotion, it allows them to flush through much more quickly. And it literally is a reset for your body and brain. Um, 
And I love that. And I think we've all experienced it. I mean, have you ever been in a situation where you've had um, been in a really negative space and someone's managed to make you laugh and, and your sense of respect comes back? Mm. Definitely. Yeah. And um, I think like it's, it's a tool that I've used um, for my performance, you know, like understanding that, like the positive emotion either like before a game or, you know, whether it's like having a nice coffee and chat with a teammate or whether it's just like a little like fist pump or high five or just really small things like that kind of puts you into a better frame of mind. And like you said, it helps your decision making. It helps you see things more broadly. Like, yeah, that's how I've applied that kind of strategy to. And what I love is how quick it can be, you know, that, um, you think, oh, no, that would take too much effort. No, it doesn't. Like there are moments where I've been in situations where I'm really bricking it. I'm really not looking for something. I'm terrified. And I managed to look over and see one of our team and just go, God, I love you. Look, yeah. I've got these people with me that I love working with. And, and then it's like, yeah, bring it on. Yeah. You know? Um, so I guess – in the, the PERMA model, meaning is a massive part of that in positive psychology. Um, I guess the why, like we talked about, um, for athletes in particular, is, is quite hard to find some days. Um, yeah. How do we find meaning in what we do? And what would you suggest for someone who's feeling a bit lost at the moment? Yeah, look... Um We've been working on this with, um, with organizations in the last two weeks because when times are really tough, and right now most people will have hit a trough of this all feels futile, what's the point, and I'm tired and I'm grumpy. And if you want to be able to keep going then, one of the things that really puts some fuel in your tank is having a sense of purpose. And so um, finding your why being able to actually step back and think, why am I doing this? right now? this session or this work feels like just so much more tedium in my day. But why am I doing it? I'm connecting it to what is it going to give me that matters to me? What will that give me that matters to me? And chaining up that sense of purpose. Um, And that's, I think, being able to connect to why we do our work is really important. Um, And I know for some people that's really easy. You know, like we're working with people in education and they go, I'm helping other people. I'm getting out and helping other people to cope and to learn. I really have a strong sense of why and it aligns with my values. Tick, job done, off I go. For other people, they're like, nah, don't know. This widget factory is not doing it for me. Um, And so if somebody is in, I often think in, in a place where it's like, I don't know. I just don't know. Nothing, nothing seems important or useful. I don't care about anything. Um, and I know I had, um, I was really depressed after my kids were born. And it, it, I remember looking at everybody else and saying, they all have a thing they're doing and excited about. I'm not excited about anything. And it took a while for that to come back. But one of the things that I think of um, as being really helpful in that time is rather than looking for big M with a capital M, look for little M. And I think of it sometimes as the breadcrumb trail that, you might not know where your meaning is lying, but at the end of the day, if you ask yourself what felt most worthwhile, 
What was the thing I did today that really felt most worthwhile? Um, and start tracking those. You get a sense of what's important to you and what feels worthwhile and just notice it. And honestly, like there, there are some days where um, it could be for me, I had a really nice chat with someone in a shop and or I was chatting to this old lady outside a shop and, and I made her smile. And that felt like, I felt like I was a useful human being on the planet for five minutes, you know. So, but notice what it is that feels worthwhile. Is it feeling helpful? Is it feeling useful? Is it feeling really competent? Um, and follow the breadcrumb trail. And it's like, do more of that stuff. Do more of the stuff that makes you feel like that. Mm. Yeah, that was a, a piece of advice that I never forgot, really. Um, I, I remember I, I asked you that question because when I did my diploma I was I wasn't in the black circus I'd been dropped I was feeling very lost and I um yeah I just I was like well how do you find meaning in life you know you just said just follow the breadcrumbs Rachel and I was like okay (laughs) I'll try okay party party okay party I think I want to slap you but you know I'll try no it was good it was great advice um this is a little bit of a beeline off but I remember when I did my diploma this theory at hit me like a ton of bricks. I was like, whoa, more athletes need to know about this theory. And it's the Pygmalion theory. So oh, yeah. could you just explain what the Pygmalion effect is? Um, and I guess, yeah, we'll just go from there because I think it's okay. Important. So Pygmalion was a Greek sculptor who became, he was actually became king. He was a rare example of an artist doing well um, and, you know, ending up in charge of country. Uh, anyway, so he was this sculptor, and he made um, he sculpted a statue of a woman, and he fell in love with her, and his love for her was so strong that it brought her to life, and so that's the name that's given to this effect, which is about the power of our expectations on other people's performance, and saying it's it's really the realization that other people's expectations of you can affect your performance. And I think most of us will have experienced it one way or another where um, you're with somebody and they go, of course you can do this. Oh, no, I've seen you and I know. You've got the skill to do this. Go. And you you walk out a little bit stronger, a little bit more confident. Um, Or the other way, when someone says, nah, you don't belong here, you are useless. And (laughs) so my my favorite example of this is um, I worked – in, back in London, I worked with a guy who thought I was completely useless. And I remember one day having to, do, to bring something in and discuss something in his office. And I walked into the desk on the way out. And I'm thinking, do you know, normally I can actually negotiate furniture. I can navigate furniture in a room. I really can. And I thought like, wow, you make me feel so incompetent that I literally walk into furniture. Mm. Yeah, but it's a it's a powerful thing I think we can apply to maybe not necessarily as athletes, but with our teammates. But if you're in coaching yeah. roles and things, like making sure oh. that you, I don't know, like treat everyone with the same expectation. Um, you know, because there was even that study about the school kids where they kind of mixed them up, eh? And then it was... Yeah. And just basically showing that if, if you tell a teacher that these kids are useless, they will, in the nicest possible way, expect them 
to be useless. And it doesn't mean they'll go in and say, oh my gosh, you guys are, you know, dumb as a stone. I don't expect anything from you. But they'll say things like, don't worry about getting on to the harder problems. No, no, if you get to there, that's good. And, and all these things that quietly say, don't expect too much of yourself because you're not that good. You know, and, um, and I, I think the bit to remember is that all of this can be done with the best will in the world. It's not that anyone has to be, have, you know, bad intent. Um, I, know, I know teachers who say that at the start of the year, the, in some schools, teachers from the previous year, in, in an effort to be helpful, will hand over notes about the students coming in and they'll write about them, you know, and, and there could be really things like has a difficult home life, needs support, or there could be really stroppy and demanding or whining, never, you know, whatever. But um, some, some of the teachers I've worked with say, I put those notes in my desk drawer and I look at them at the end of term one after I form my own opinions. That, well, that's good teaching. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, but it, it is hard because as, you know, as coaches, you are in, you're in a position to have a really positive Pygmalion effect or a negative one. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to read out a little bit of a blog that I saw that you wrote and I absolutely loved it um, just to share with everyone. Um, in our lives, there are the fabulous joyful moments and there are also the humdrum and even the downright irritating, painful or sad. Well-being is not just about hunting the high points. In fact, that can backfire sometimes. Long-term well-being is about being able to take the rough with the smooth. Do you want sand? Do you want sandpaper or silk in life? Silk may be more comfortable, but it won't make us smooth. It's dealing with the rough sandpaper experiences that smooth smooth our rough edges. I just love that. Would you just be able to talk quickly about what you meant when you? When you wrote that. So, so first of all, credit to Tenzing Palmo, who's a Buddhist nun who wrote, um, who spent about 12 years in a cave meditating. And so this is a woman who's used to deep, long meditation as a beautiful way of growing and learning. And she was in a position where she could either go back and meditate in quiet, peaceful solitude for another few years, or her other option was to set up a Buddhist nunnery. And um, that was going to be political, difficult, challenging. She was going to face, you know, um, the, the orthodoxy of older men, and she was, it was going to be the first one. And she was thinking about, well, which do I choose? And it was an old Catholic priest she spoke to who said, do you want sandpaper or silk? Silk is really comfortable next to us, but it doesn't change the shape of us. Sandpaper, sandpaper gets rid of our rough edges and turns us into who we can become. And so I think in life, most of us are willing to take on some sandpaper. You know, it's the stuff you do on, and, and the days that aren't easy. There's days like, there's days where we're not, you know, ta-da, it's not chariots of fire. It's just grinding it out and it's a slog. And that's all part of it. They're the sandpaper days where we just put our heads down and keep going and know that the reward is further off. Yeah, I love that. Um, Very conscious of time. I just want to go rattle through quick fire to finish the the interview. Okay, you ready, Ness? I am. Favourite well-being intervention? Um, 
Do you know, for me, I think it is maintaining a sense of perspective. That thing of grounded optimism is about being aware of the personal, the permanent, and the pervasive. And if I'm going to like, ah, it's terrible, I'm useless. Um, it's like, really, really? Is it, is it that permanent? Is it that pervasive? I'm pulling myself back. It's, and, and then moving swiftly into self-compassion. Nice. Um, I grow to. Which you use more often? Um, probably self-compassion. You know, when I'm in the middle of a good old self-flagellation, big beat-up, <laughs> it's, it's remembering I'm actually doing my best. And I use, do you know, you know Kristen Neff's self-compassion break? And it just goes, this is, a, and I'm always holding my heart, this is a moment of suffering. Suffering is part of life. I'm not alone. May I be kind to myself in this moment and give myself the compassion I need. I drove to a client um, out of Christchurch, uh, realized about two-thirds of the way there, I realized I was late. I'd got the time wrong, and I was doing a big beat-up. And then eventually I've got one hand on the steering wheel and the other hand on my heart going, this is a moment, this is a rough moment. This is, I'm not alone. I'm not a bad person. Nice. Um, what's the lesson life keeps teaching you? Um, do you know, I think it is that thing around um, keeping it in perspective and that it's when I can stop fighting and accept exactly as things are, then I can start moving forward. Mm-hmm. If I, for me, it's, it's if I fall into a black hole rather than going, oh, my God, I'm in a black hole and I may never get out and how long will this one last? I go in a bit of a slump, right, okay. Oh, no. And then it and then it moves more quickly. Mm. Okay, last last question. Best piece of advice. <laughs> Honestly, uh, it really makes me laugh because it, it was. I think it was. Um, it was a fabulous colleague of mine, Roz Allen, and she came in to me working at the university. It was a Friday, and I'm still there trying to get stuff done. And she just came into my room and she said, "Denise, go home." No one ever died of an academic emergency. <laughs> and it was so good. It was like, you know, it's like keep it in perspective. It's not that important, you know. And I think for me, always, I'm always pushing to make what I do as good as I can. And sometimes it's just important to remember it's just work. Mm-hmm. No. You know, there's a whole other life. And, yeah. Great advice. And I guess the, the the um the bit that sticks with me around around the resilience piece is that um resilience is how we choose to think and how we choose to act and no matter what we've done until now we get to make those choices afresh each moment and i can have been really unresilient in my thinking yesterday and a bit crappy in my actions but tomorrow today's another day and i get to be i get to be a better version of me mm. Oh, that's a beautiful way to finish the podcast episode, I think, Denise. Thank you very much for, um, yeah, being part of this. It was a great conversation. And I think for my listeners especially, they'll learn a lot that they can just straight away apply into into what they're doing. Lovely to talk to you, Rachel. And I guess I want to say to all of the athletes around the country and beyond, 
um, hang in there and keep grinding it out in whatever tedious, frustrating way you can and keep connecting with your, your teammates because this will be over soon and, you know, we are looking to better times. Mm, absolutely. Thank you, Denise. Take care. Good to see you, Rach. Good to see you.